0: Do we have choices in our lives? What kinds of choices do we have? And how have we found choices in recovery? Welcome to episode 164 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Lucy and Pam. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Lucy and Pam, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of Alcoholics and Addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery.
1: Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at the Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you'll find something in our sharing that speaks to your life.
0: My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today. Joining me is Eric. Welcome, Eric.
1: Good morning, Spencer. Greetings from Greenwich, Connecticut. Uh,
0: Thank you. The first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our discussion of this topic, choices. Following a short break, we will talk about our lives in recovery, about how we practice these principles in all our affairs. We'll follow that with your email or voice contributions and some brief news before closing. Picked a reading from our daily reader courage to change. This is from July 30th. I've often heard that happiness is an inside job and most, much of the time I can be as happy as I decide to be yet. I've often found happiness fleeting. I know it's unrealistic to expect to be happy all the time, but I think I might achieve this goal much more if I made a firmer commitment to my decision to be happy. Instead, I choose happiness and then abandon my choice at the first sign of trouble. How deep can my commitment be if I allow even slight obstacles to rob me of my sense of well-being? Commitment takes work. It is a discipline. When I make a decision, I must ask myself what I really want and if I'm willing to work for it. Old habits are hard to break. If I have a long-standing habit of responding to problems by feeling like a helpless victim, it may not be easy to stand by my decision to be happy. A change of attitude sometimes helps. Perhaps I can look at problems as opportunities to commit more deeply to my choices. In other words, every obstacle can prompt me to assert that I really mean it. I do want to be happy. Today's reminder. When I make a choice and then stick with it, I teach myself that my choices do have meaning, and I am worthy of trust. I have an opportunity to make a commitment to one of my choices today. You know, there's a lot... There are a lot of readings in our literature about choices, um, and I think that's because... For many of us, understanding that we have choices or the areas in which we have choices maybe are are more than we thought they were uh, is is a big part of our recovery. And I know for me it's something that... Uh, I knew I had choices in some parts of my life, but I felt like other places there was no choice. How about How about you, Eric? Did you feel before you came into recovery that you had a lot of choices in your life?
1: Well, when... The drinking became intolerable. Uh, My choices diminished very, very rapidly. Uh, My choices really just revolved around keeping the house from burning down. You know, I mean, (laughs) they were reactions. They were um, not responses. They were uh, uh, knee-jerk, fear-based, really, I think, I was living in such fear that, you know, my only reactions were that of trying to find some safety and relief. So no, I didn't really feel I had choices. The choices were being you know, my emotions were making my choices. And my emotions were basically fear and you know, responding to threat with uh an instant, you know, again, knee-jerk reaction which was essentially no. My, my choices were taken from me because I didn't have the tools to respond. Uh, they were all reaction-based.
0: That just sounds so familiar. In many areas, in particular, in dealing with the, the alcoholic drinking um, and all of the consequences of, of that, uh, I think I, I really didn't feel like there were any choices available at the same time you know i could make choices about about little things i could make choices about what to have for dinner uh, i could make choices about things like that but the the big stuff it was either no choice or choices i didn't like the big one for me before i came into recovery and and also for a while afterwards was this question of how can I continue to live this way? Or can I continue to live this way? I think I was recognizing the unmanageability of my life, not calling it that, um, but that just, you know, life sucked. And I didn't, I really didn't see how I could continue to live that way, but it felt like the only alternative the only alternative to continuing to live that way was to kick my wife out. I didn't want to do that either, and so I felt like I was faced with with two choices, neither of which was good, or both of which were bad. Um, and I didn't see any other. I didn't see any other possibility. I didn't see any other alternative. I, because at, at that point, I think I didn't have any concept of how there could be an alternative. But it, it, I also feel like there were many times in my life where I felt faced with sort of a yes or no choice. That it was all or nothing, black or white. And that there was there was no fuzziness, there was no gray area, there was no um, possibility of of a third option. And I don't know if you Uh, can identify with that or not
1: yeah as you were speaking i wrote what came to mind was fight or flight and you know the basic instinct of uh when confronted you know a response of fight or flight and you know without recovery that that those were my only two choices i felt there were no other options other than to try to respond to the bonfire by pouring gasoline on it (laughs) um you know, trying to put it out with napalm, you know, he who's loudest last wins. I mean, then that, I realized, uh, just doesn't work. Just makes a bigger fire. Or run, you know, fear. I've heard the acronym false evidence appearing real, but I also have heard, uh, you know, F everything and run. My response early on part of recovery was to run uh, or fight. You know, interesting, I looked up uh, on Wikipedia, Fight or flight response, as you were just talking, and an interesting definition. Maybe there's something here that speaks to our program. It says uh, the fight or flight response, also called the fight, flight, freeze, or fawn response in post-traumatic stress disorder, Hmm. is a psychological reaction that occurs in response to a perceived harmful event, attack, or threat to survival. It was described by Walter Bradford Cannon. His theory states that animals react to threats with a general discharge of the sympathetic nervous system, priming the animal for fighting or fleeing. More specifically, the adrenaline medulla produces a hormonal cascade that results in the secretion of cath or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the hormones, estrogen, testosterone, cortisol, as well as the neurotransmitters, dopamine and serotonin, also affect how organisms react to stress you know a uh, a lot of words right in that you know definition yeah. right right out of our program you know harmful post traumatic stress uh threat attack you know that's the way i th- i lived i lived as if i were under attack behind enemy lines and and uh, mortar shells coming at me from every angle and i felt there was really no choice but to duck and cover or dig a foxhole and get out of sight
0: yeah I noticed that, in fact, there were, in the sort of the expanded version, there were four options. The third one, freeze. Yeah. Before you started reading that, I was thinking, well, you know, there there is a third option. There was a third option that I took, which was withdraw. All right. Uh, and that's sort of like freeze. It's like, do nothing. Mm-hmm. Do nothing, and maybe it will go away. So, we've got In our neighborhood this year, lots of bunnies, lots and lots and lots of bunnies to the extent that I can be walking down the sidewalk in the middle of the afternoon and there are like two rabbits right next to the sidewalk. They exhibit the freeze or flight syndrome. As I'm walking up, first they will totally freeze. They'll become completely immobile and hope that I don't see them. But as I continue to approach, all of a sudden they break and they run away. That freezing, that withdrawing, uh, for me was also a symptom or maybe recognition, I don't know, of my denial. There's not really a problem here. If I ignore the problem, the problem will bypass me, the problem will go away. I think part of that denial, part of that freezing, that withdrawal was to make it so I didn't have to make a choice I didn't want to make. I didn't have to choose between two bad alternatives because those were the only possibilities that I saw. I didn't have to choose fight or flight because uh, as, as I've said before in this podcast, I'm pretty much conflict avoidant. I don't like to fight, which doesn't mean that I won't get into it. Sometimes Uh, that is definitely one of my reactions but i don't like it. i was in a marriage that had been um i'd been we'd been together for over 20 years at that point and i didn't want to leave I didn't want to run away. and so freeze was was perfect response. don't do anything. just be really quiet and maybe it will go away. didn't happen. but you know so another thing about making choices that I think was part of how I thought about that was you know if I once I made a decision then I had to stick with it you know wasn't allowed to change my mind I wasn't allowed to I mean this is huge in our society right if you change your mind you're a flip flopper right you're indecisive uh, and that's somehow a bad thing and so that adds to the pressure of making a decision, of making a choice. If you feel like after you make that choice, you can't change it. And particularly for the big stuff. I could decide to go see a movie and then later decide I didn't like it. Although I wouldn't walk out. I don't I don't think I've ever done that. Like, nope, I made this choice. I'm going to sit here to the end, even though this is the stupidest movie I've ever seen. You connect with any of that?
1: Uh, Pretty much all of it, yeah. <laughs> And, you know, when you ignore the bunnies, you know, they just go into the woods and multiply. That's what... uh, Well, that too. (laughs) Our problems don't go away. They don't lessen when we just ignore them. They actually grow. I'm also, you know, paging through some things as you're talking. and I wanted to see if there were references in our promises or gifts, uh, the Alamon promises or gifts to the topic of choices and and actually there are many. Uh I, I highlighted a few.
0: But before you go in there, can can you remind um listener where where we sure. would find these these promises?
1: Well yeah, I mean you can certainly Google them. Whenever you Google the Alanon promises you'll they'll turn up but I also believe they're in from survival to recovery page two sixty seven or two sixty eight if I'm not mistaken.
0: Yeah I actually was at an open talk yesterday and the guy who was talking held up that book. He says so in My version of the book, which is an older one, they're on page 269. And in the current version of the book, they're on page 267. So that, I think, explains part of the confusion that I've had about where they actually are. Yeah, And the book, From Survival to Recovery, it's an Al-Anon book that really is addressed at people who grew up with alcoholism. I grew up in an alcoholic home, but it's got so much wisdom in it. And one of the sharings in that book has... Uh, these statements that are sometimes called the Al-Anon promises or the Al-Anon gifts. So, now that I've totally derailed you, can, <laughs> which ones were you pointing at?
1: Hi, my name's Eric, and I'm from Greenwich, Okay, <laughs> we, won't, we won't go all the way back. The Al-Anon promises. The um, fourth one, I think, speaks to this. It says, our site, once clouded and confused, will clear. And we will be able to perceive reality and recognize truth. In other words, this is my addition. Uh, my In other words, we'll find the ability to have choices. Another one is we will be able to risk failure. Uh, again, you know, by making a choice, you do risk the possibility of failure. But at least you're making a choice and not paralyzed. We will begin to feel and we'll come to know the vastness of our emotions. But we will not be slaves to them. Honestly, I felt I had no choices, that I was a slave to my qualifier's behavior, and I was simply in a reactionary mode all the time. And then lastly, I think the best uh, example within the gifts or the promises says as we uh, gain the ability to forgive ourselves, our families, and the world, our choices will expand. Again, speaking of our choices, as we begin to use these tools to become more confident and more decisive, you know, I've heard it said the enemy of serenity is indecision and worry. And for me, indecision was the antithesis of a choice. I could not decide which road mm-hmm. to take. Mm-hmm. And that par- that paralyzed me in, in my worst place of fear.
0: Yeah, that is so true. What am I going to do? 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 Oh, what am I going to do? Is not a serene uh, place to be. As you were reading those, uh, I am doing a sort of a series of episodes starting earlier this year uh, on some of those statements. Episode 157, which was, I guess, a couple of months ago now, uh, was Based on that one, that first one you read, our site once clouded and confused will clear and we'll be able to perceive reality and recognize truth. And my co-host for that episode used readings from an on book titled Discovering Choices. Isn't that an apt title for, uh, for this episode? And unfortunately, that seems to be one of the books that I don't have in my library. I was looking for it last night. I was sure I had it. I could picture the cover in my head, but I don't think I actually own that one. Um, so I wasn't able to pull in any quotes from, from that book. But uh, I, do, I do recommend that book. It's called Discovering Choices, Our Recovery in Relationships. And, and so I think that kind of also speaks a little bit to um, the theme of, of the book.
1: Well, you're in luck. You're in luck, Spencer, because I likewise don't have the book. However, <laughs> I was I was able because this is obviously the topic for today's uh, episode. I was able to pull down um, a reading or two off uh, the internet from oh, Discovering cool. Choices. So you uh, you puffball me a perfect setup. So in the preface in Discovering Choices, it says, there are no simple answers to the difficult and complex challenges of relationships affected by alcoholism. As Al-Anon members, we have a wide range of experiences in dealing with every type of difficulty that results from our relationships with problem drinkers. Yet as we share our experience, strength, and hope in the mutual supportive environment of Al-Anon meetings, we often discover possibilities and positive choices. In Al-Anon family groups, we discover these choices are available to all of us, provided that we're able to put our relationship problems in perspective and open ourselves to whatever each day offers. Now, there's obviously a lot more, but you know it, this um, speaks 100% on target to the topic, this book. I'm mm-hmm. gonna probably pick, I'll probably pick it up this week.
0: Another thing that I thought about how I approached making choices before recovery I was in thinking about, you know, how did I make decisions? How did I, what process or lack of process did I use when I was trying to make decisions? And, and again, I sort of distinguish little decisions and big decisions. Little decisions being things like what to have for dinner, uh, what movie to go see, uh, what book to pick up tonight. Uh, wh- as opposed to big decisions like, uh, which job am I going to take? Where am I going to live? What do I want to do with my life? The interesting thing that I see in retrospect was that many of those big decisions were sort of made by default. In other words, uh, for example, I, I graduated high school and it was clear I was going to college. I, that that wasn't really even something that needed to be thought about it. It's sort of, well, where am I going to college?" In fact, the first school that I visited, I was like, "This place is awesome. I'm going here." And I did. And then when I got to the end of of college, and I'm only reconstructing this thinking sort of in retrospect, not what it was at the time, but when I I look back at at how I was thinking, it was sort of like, well, oh, now what am I going to do? Well, I think I'll keep going to school, because going to school is cool, and I can do it. Uh, And so I went to grad school, and I eventually got my PhD, and well, now what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to teach, right? Because that's what you do. Uh, and I I actually taught at the same school I got my PhD at for several more years. And then actually came a point where I needed to move on and I had real choices. I I had offers from uh, one private company and two universities. and And my wife and I actually spent some time... Thinking about which one to take, although um, the choice actually came down to external factors, which is that the private company was in the in Silicon Valley. Uh, one of the schools was in um, the Newark, New Jersey area, and the other one was in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And when we went and visited those places, from where we were coming, both Silicon Valley and New Jersey felt very, very crowded. And so we made the decision where to go based on the place where we felt physically most comfortable, not necessarily based on which one would be best for me, Uh, you know, sort of career wise, if you will. And then from there on out, it was just kind of, uh, oh, well, this job's ending. Let's see. Oh, my friend has a job over there. I'll go take that Uh, without ever really needing to make another choice. And so I didn't make choices. I kind of went with the flow. I stayed with things as long as I could. So I didn't have to make a, you know, I didn't have to make a new a, a decision about going somewhere else about changing my job. You know, I basically, I, I, I kept jobs until the job ran out, not until I was ready to leave. So I didn't make choices. I didn't make those big decisions. And I think that really, to some extent goes back to that flight, fight, flight or freeze. Wow. That's hard um fight flight or freeze i always chose freeze until i had to hop um, just like those bunnies how about uh, yeah <laughs> uh have you thought about the ways in which you um, made decisions before recovery well
1: i mean like i first said i mean i i didn't i didn't have the ability to think about deciding uh you know, and I, it's interesting. I looked up the difference. I was curious this morning and looked up the difference between decision and choice. Ooh. And, uh, Ooh. Yeah. What's interesting is that there are encouraged to change, uh, I think, 15 separate uh, daily readings on the subject of choices. In one day at a time, there are none. Hmm. But there are, however, about seven readings on decisions I'm just wondering if these folks who authored these books were so incredibly gifted to intentionally do that, to, <laughs> to separate the books. One that has so many references to choices and the other has none whatsoever, except uh, to reference decisions. So I looked it up and I thought, you know, well, it would be interesting to see how someone would decipher the difference uh, between a decision. And a choice, and actually, you know, the explanation is pretty cool. So this is from something called Changing Minds, Choice Versus Decision. I'll paraphrase, but it says a uh, choice, uh, life may be likened to a path. We all, uh, we walk along the pathway of our lives doing what we do. And sometimes we come to a fork in the path where we must choose which way to go. Sometimes these choices are minor, for example, whether to have a cup of coffee or tea. Minor choices do not really affect our lives, much as we continue the major on the major route. Other choices are major and life-changing, such as what career to follow. Choice, then, is selection from alternatives. This means we must see the alternatives from which we can choose. Sometimes these are obvious, but often they are not, and the path we walk can have a significant random element. Being alert and able to see the choices we have is a critical ability for living deliberately. I mean, you know, being alert, I mean, that goes right back to Mm. the the promises. You know, our sight once clouded and confused, we are now becoming more alert um, and awake to the ability to choose and use our tools in the process. And decision, it says, is a more general term that does not imply the existence of alternatives. It's driven more by needs, goals, and problems than by simply encountering a set of choices. Uh, so I won't go on further with it, but the distinguished, uh, so it says, so what at the end, so distinguishing (laughs) between, (laughs) yeah, so what, so what, so distinguishing between choices and decisions as they can be quite different. If you want someone to choose, this implies you've already decided. If you want them to decide, you probably want them to identify their own set of alternatives. So all that, as Uh. confusing as it might sound is about having the clarity to know that you have choices and coming back to the topic, having a choice means thinking it through long enough to identify that there's something other than my first reaction that I can choose to do. That is probably more healthy than my first reaction.
0: Okay. So I'm going to refer back to leaving the place. I went to grad school and and then had a job for another job. And, and when I, think about that in the context of what you just said. I made a decision that it was time to leave. And then I had to choose between, as it ended up three alternatives. I think I I put out feelers to other places, but those were the three that responded. So then I was presented with a choice and I suppose there was a fourth choice, which was don't leave. Although I may have closed that door by by the the time I was I was making the the choice between the three and so that that helps actually helps to clarify um, because at the point where we decided it was time to move on it wasn't that we came to a fork in the road and it, and the and this fork was clearly labeled stay or go it was that factors built up to a point where we said you know what uh, we probably need to 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 leave this place and and go somewhere else and there were there were lots of factors involved there both personal and professional so that's that's a that's actually really interesting um, distinction glad you did found that yeah so when you came into the Al-Anon program uh, did you hear i know i did but i'm wondering what messages you heard about making choices about the choices you could make about the fact that you had choices.
1: Well, uh, the hardest one is that I had no role in my wife's drinking. Uh, I had no ability to choose for her whether to drink or not. That was the hardest one mm. because, um, she was clearly would say that I was her trigger and, uh, blame me for her drinking. And, you know, I, I, I bought into it for a little while. I, I mean, I started to, I, I completely abstained from drinking. I even went to AA meetings for 90 days straight to show her that, look, uh, if I'm your trigger, then I'll stop. And certainly she'll follow me into those rooms and mm-hmm. see that, you know, uh, Al-Anon taught me that, you know, this is a disease. So I said, okay, where do you go to find out who cured the disease? Well, you go to AA. So I was going there again thinking i would take the medicine and cure her disease mm-hmm. that that didn't work out so good uh i, you know, I didn't identify with the, the shares and the readings i just i thought she would just coattail me in but never happened and i was in the wrong room i uh, identified with the stories that people told how as they affected their loved ones but not their particular bottoms and reasons they stopped drinking. I mean, I was there trying to cure someone else by by my changing, uh, you know, my behavior thinking they would change theirs. You know, that can happen, as we say, you know, but uh, that didn't work out. So, I guess gradually I came to believe that there was nothing I was going to do to cause or stop her from drinking. And that I had no choice in that matter. And that was a really hard one to swallow. Hmm. You know, I just believed if I worked this hard enough, she would certainly see that her behavior was killing her marriage, killing her family, and uh, that I could change her by working my program so hard that, you know, she would choose. But, you know, it, uh, it dawned on me after many, many, many hours in the rooms, so that I can't uh, obsess over that, and I can't let that be my, the driver behind my coming and attending and working. The driver really has to be about changing myself so that her behavior no longer has a stranglehold on my life and my happiness and my joy and my ability to function. So, as they say, I needed to put my Gas mask by life, not gas mask, that would be bad. My oxygen mask on first.
0: <laughs> mm.
1: uh, yeah, well, if I put my gas mask on, maybe it'll kill her. I don't know. No. <laughs> that didn't work. So, I mean, I, uh, I had to take care of myself. And that's the only way I was going to start to feel better. And that's what happened.
0: Okay, you know, I hadn't thought about that, that, that the, the clarity of understanding that where I thought there was a choice, there actually wasn't a choice. Oh, huh! I was thinking about some of my early meetings where people would say things like, I discovered I could make choices for myself, to which my, at least mental response was what? (laughs) Because part of my dysfunction, my dis-ease, as it is sometimes parsed, was that I had to, I felt that my job was to make other people happy. If I'm making choices for myself, then that's not going to make other people happy, unless coincidentally they want the same thing I want. Uh, So there were a, a lot of situations in which I felt I didn't have a choice or that the choices available to me were the ones that were presented by others. And so hearing this message that I could make choices for my own desire, for my own peace of mind, for my own health, I could make choices to take care of myself Rather than taking care of others, that was a radical message for me to hear. Yeah.
1: I looked up some quotes and, um, you know, I love uh, seeing how other people, uh, some of them, most of them actually recognizable names, authors, theologians, or very smart thinkers. Um, And I got a few good ones here. Uh, This one's from Stephen Covey from the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And says, um, but until a person can say deeply and honestly, quote, I am what I am today because of the choices I made yesterday, end quote. That person cannot say, quote, I choose otherwise. Hmm. So in other words, you know, we are what we think we want to be. We are what we think we are. And what I thought about myself yesterday influences how I am today. The next one is someone named Cassandra Clare, I guess a book called City of Glass. It says, uh, in the end, that was the choice you made. And it doesn't matter how hard it was to make it. It matters that you did. Again, the ability to make choices open when we work this program. And lastly, one of my favorites, which we've been referencing all the way through the show, and it was inevitable that we got to it, is Lewis Carroll from Alice in Wonderland. And I never heard the last part of this, which is really cool. I only It usually stops right after about the third Uh, sentence so it says would you tell me please which way i ought to go from here that depends a good deal on where you want to get to said the cat i don't much care where said alice then it doesn't matter which way you go said the cat so long as i get somewhere alice added as an explanation oh you're sure to do that said the cat if you only walk long enough so that reminds me of the phrase you know when walking through hell keep walking
0: but if you're walking without direction well you're sure to get there somewhere <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um and and actually i'm referring forward to one of our our song choices sung by by george harrison called any road and and i picked out this little lyric from it and if you don't know where you're going any road will take you there and um i'm guessing that's a direct back reference to alice in wonderland there absolutely uh, and that is so true uh the stephen covey one yeah until we can admit that who we are is the result of our choices is that how that went
1: But until a person can say deeply and honestly, I am what I am today because of the choices I made yesterday, that person cannot say, I choose otherwise. Yeah. Pretty good.
0: That brings me to one of the ways of sort of parsing the assertion that I'm grateful for my alcoholic or I'm grateful for the things that happened because they made me the person that I am today. Uh, and I've heard that said, and I've, I've said that, that there are things in my past that were painful. There are things in my past that I would rather have not had to endure. But without those things, I wouldn't be the person I am today. And it took me a long time to recognize that truth, that without those painful events in my past life, I would not be who I am today. I'd be a different person. Maybe I'd be happy being that different person. But if I was able to go back and change things, I wouldn't be who I am. I probably wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation with you. And being able to do that, making this podcast happen is something that's actually pretty important in my life now. It's a big part of me, who I am, what I do, what my, what my purpose is in life, and without the experience of alcoholism in my life, I wouldn't be here. So, yeah, the choices that I made or the choices that I failed to make have made me who I am. And now I can choose to act differently. I can choose to take care of myself. I can choose, as the reading that I opened with, I can choose an attitude of gratitude that I can choose to bring happiness into my life rather than pushing it away as I have done so many times in the past. And so that message that I have choices, that, um, as the, the, one of those readings that you found that reading about the difference between choices and decision that by opening my eyes, that by being aware of what's going on around me, the practices, the tools that I've gained here of, um, being in the moment of mindfulness, enable me to see choices where I might not have seen them before and enable me to moment by moment consciously choose the direction that I think will take me towards a more serene, a more centered, uh, a happier existence. That ability to choose is something that I learned by coming to the rooms and listening to other people and doing the readings and doing the steps. And I think also for me that, that awful, scary inventory step is one that has given me choices because it has brought me to a greater understanding of who I am, of what I want. Understanding that makes it, both easier to make choices and I think more likely for me to see them because I've opened my eyes. How about yourself? What tools have you found uh, in your recovery that are helping you with choices?
1: Yeah. What's interesting. I had uh, my men's group meeting last night and I, uh, as i've done in the past when uh, you and i have done a podcast it seems to be my turn to lead the Ben's group to saturday evening before the podcast and of course i choose the topic that we're going to speak about to see if i can warm myself up to it and see what some others in the room feel about it and i couldn't put i can't put my fingers on it right now but you know in courage to change there are so many references i think 15 to the topic of choices but the one uh Tool that was referenced within a reading was first things first. And uh, I might try to look for that while we're talking. But, you know, a lot, the slogans, a lot of the slogans really work to the idea of having choices. And if we use them, I think, as at least I intend uh, or see the intention behind them, they give me choices because they make me slow down uh, to stop and think, to take it easy. Easy does it. But first things first, which is usually my interest first. I mean, I had a little crisis come up on my way driving to my men's meeting. Mm -hmm. And uh, my daughter was texting me frantically and being very hostile. Uh, She's another qualifier. (laughs) And uh, I chose to. I could have turned around and gone home to assist her with what she regarded as a crisis or emergency uh, that required urgent attention. Uh, but I remembered that, you know, uh, the sayings I've heard in the room that urgent things are seldom important and important things are seldom urgent. So I made the choice to continue on and go to my meeting. And it was the right decision. But uh, there's a will do a reading. There were so many good readings referenced in Courage to Change that I'll just pick one here that says um, it's November 4th. And I wrote in the margin above it, whenever this was years ago, that acceptance gives me choices. But the reading says from November 4th, sometimes I'm called upon to accept unpleasant realities. I may wish to avoid disappointments, but I find that the only way to have serenity is to become willing to accept the things I cannot change. Acceptance gives me choices. For instance, one day I called my sponsor because the alcoholic and I had concert tickets for the evening, and I was afraid he would get drunk and pass out before it was time to leave the house. It had happened many times before. Our tickets would go to waste, and I'd spend the evening in despair. My sponsor suggested having backup plans whenever, whenever my plans involved someone I couldn't depend on. Plan A was to get the original night out. Plan B might be to call an al friend in advance, explain the situation, and see if he or she would be interested in the last-minute invitation if plan A fell through. Plan C might be to go by myself and have a good time. This new approach worked like a charm. It was a great way to put acceptance to work in my life. Reminder says, I no longer have to depend on any one person or situation in order to get on with my day. Today, I have choices. So a really good one. You know, I can have a plan A, but if I know it involves someone that is less than dependable, I should probably choose to have a plan B and maybe even a C. And that's a healthy way to to live uh, with the disease, uh, which is unpredictable.
0: Yeah, you know, as as you started reading that, and um, the thing about concert tickets, and what if the alcoholic gets drunk and and passes out, and that just took me back to the time when, if that had happened, I would stay home and be miserable. Yeah, because I couldn't go by myself see that. I didn't even see that as a choice. Here I am, what, 14 years into the program, and and my immediate thought was, well, she could go by herself, <laughs> you know, before you even got to the, the options uh, B and C there. And and that just illustrates to me how sort of automatic some of the the changes in the way I think have become for me now. I don't have to not go if the other person can't go, doesn't want to go, whatever. And I think I apply that one um, in my life a lot. I'll say to to my wife or to friends, "Hey, I'd like to go to this thing. You want to come with?" And they can say yes, which is cool, or they can say no, which is cool. And if it's you know if it's with my wife. And she says, no, then I I do have to recognize that there may be a further choice there, which is uh, whether um, the thing that I want to do by myself is worth the cost of not spending time with her and recognizing that in a relationship, there's a balance and in, in, my marriage in particular, that relationship, there's a balance of things done together and things done separately. And if I tip that balance too far to one side, one or the other or both of us is going to be less happy. Uh, And so, I may say, oh, well, here are these five things that I want to do, none of which she wants to do with me. Uh, I need to pick one or two or three of them, probably not all five. Uh, and so there's a there's a further choice to be made there sometimes. But just the the thought that I can choose to do something by myself that I don't have to to always do it with, um, you know, the other half, my other half, um, that that wholly fallacious description of a marriage, my other half. Because nobody is the other half of somebody. Unless maybe you're Siamese twins. (laughs) Okay, yeah, so slogans. You mentioned first things first, which um, I may have found actually the reading that you were thinking of. Let me get back to it here. Uh, It was November 13th, Encouraged to Change. I read somewhere that the things that are urgent are rarely important and the things that are important are rarely urgent. I can get so caught up in the nagging trivial matters of day-to-day life that I forget to make time for more important c- pursuits. The Al-Anon slogan I find most helpful in getting my priorities in order is first things first. And priorities are really about choices, aren't they?
1: Yeah. I'm going to go on. I'm going to I'm going to actually if you don't want read the rest of this one because it's it's uh, very good. It says right after you finished it goes on to say today Maintaining my serenity is my first priority. My connection with my higher power is the source of serenity, so maintaining that connection is my first thing. If I imagine I'm in a dark room and that my higher power is my only source of light, then my best hope for navigating around the furniture will be to bring that source of light with me as I move through the room. Otherwise, I may get through through the room, but my passage is sure to be slow, confusing, and possibly painful. (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, like running into the coffee table with my shin yeah oh helps helps to bring a flashlight and uh, my flashlight in recovery has been my higher power and my goal has always been from day one i recognize you know my purpose in coming was peace of mind and serenity and uh, the more i find the ability to make healthy choices for myself the more serenity and peace of mind i have and The more my day flows with dignity and grace, and the more I can love without losing myself, you know, love others without losing myself. Those, I think, two or three of the things I just spouted off extemporaneously are right out of the the gifts or the promises. uh, We can love without losing ourselves. And I really believed in the beginning that I could love my alcoholic sober, and I could, you know, hug my addict straight. Mm -hmm. And uh, neither of those things worked at all and, in fact, robbed me of my ability to choose my behavior because I was simply acting to try to change someone else. And, in fact, the only choice I really have is to change what I can.
0: That reading reminds me that one of the tools that I have for making decisions, in terms of the reading you had earlier, making decisions of identifying choices or identifying that maybe I need to make a choice. Uh, my decision, Oh, it's, it's time to, to leave this place and to go somewhere else. Well, now I have a choice. Where else am I going? And then in making the choice that, the, that one of the primary tools for that is prayer and meditation, uh, asking, asking my higher power for help let me let me know what you think <laughs> or as as the the step has it uh, asking my primary power my higher power for uh, his will which may be as simple as pausing to take a moment in contemplation or it it may be a more drawn out activity of of praying for understanding uh, Meditating to hopefully hear an answer and and you highlighted that in in that reading um, i I really like the image of the flashlight uh, yeah that uh I may be able to muddle through on my own, uh, but on the other hand without without some illumination, I may totally miss choices right. i may I may find a door out of the dark room, but it it might not be the only door, and it might not be the one that actually would be better for me. And so, getting outside myself, asking my higher power for help. And for me, as I've heard many people express that, the answer to that that question, help, uh, often comes from listening to other people sharing in meetings or in conversation. I need to be there. I need to be open to hearing that answer. I need to be I need to have asked the question, and I need to then listen for the answer, and prayer and meditation is is a big way of doing that.
1: Interesting that you brought up meditation. Um, there is a, an app that I use that has become, by far, and I've tried many, many different ways to meditate, and I finally came upon one that is just, just so uh, obviously the right choice. And as we were speaking, and I've, I've been using meditation now every day for and this, this app tracks how many days in a row, how many hours a day it gives you milestone, little little uh, colored stars for reaching five milestones, you get a, a yellow star and for reaching five of those you get a red star so it's become a bit of a, a competition, but it's a little positive feedback and it's very, very cool and uh, maybe, maybe we can post it uh, in the notes for today's show and meditation has been an incredibly powerful tool for me to find the clarity to make conscious, uh, healthy choices because it's it's, it's uh, slowed down, you know, the hamster. Um, you know, my hamster now wears flip-flops, not Nikes, you know. <laughs> uh, the hamster
0: running in the wheel in your
1: mind? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's kind of strolling now. You know, he's still there, uh, but he no longer is, you know, strapped up and in the starting gate uh, when I open my eyes waiting for the pistol to go off so he can uh, start go- going full speed, a uh, thousand miles an hour. But meditation has become a really, really important part of my recovery, and it really is about slowing myself down so that I allow my higher power an opportunity to give me a choice. And uh, I can now draw back on that feeling that I have when I'm meditating throughout the day. And we've done a podcast, you and I, on meditation. How incredibly powerful a tool that is, uh, as we talked about. It's as powerful a tool as virtually any medication that you can take for anxiety, uh, depression. Uh, They have proven scientifically that the endorphins and serotonin that are released after practicing meditation very closely resemble the effects you get from med- medication. So I've replaced meditation with medication in order to find some clarity and have the ability to make you more mean, thoughtful choices.
0: You mean replaced medication with meditation? What did I say? You said the it reverse. the other way around. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> like, okay. Oh, yeah, I stopped meditating and I'm medicating myself.
1: <laughs> yeah, now I just do drugs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I meant it the other way around. Yes, I,
0: I, I knew you did. And <laughs> that's why I wanted to clarify just in case somebody heard the first and said, what?
1: <laughs> yeah, right, what the hell? So uh, what, as we were talking here, you know, I've become so enamored of this website. It's called uh, Insight Timer. Yeah, And it, it groups meditations by categories, uh, sleep, uh, mindfulness, um, you know, short children and teens, and you can pick within that category. And people from around the world load their own meditations that you can dip into and listen to. And, and it shows you where everyone in the world is meditating at the same time and people nearby. And as we were talking, you and I just now, that my first ever effort to load a meditation that I'd heard when I was um, at a, a program when uh, uh, four or five years ago, uh, for people that are kind of stuck, uh, it was called Breakthrough, and a uh, the guy there who did the drum circle had a meditation, a music meditation, and I loved it so much, I bought his CD, I lost it for five years and found it again last week, and tried to upload it to this meditation app website which mm-hmm. is based in the uk i believe or actually i think they're based in uh, australia and uh it's taken a week of fits and starts to get it converted to the proper format from m3a to mp3 or whatever they needed mm-hmm. which i finally wrestled it uh the conversion into place yesterday and as we were speaking i just received an email saying Eric, uh, I hope you had a nice weekend. This is Maddie, the publishing manager, manager at Insight Timer. Thanking you for taking the time to correct your file. Lotus Flower in the Dark, which is the name of the music meditation. Lotus Flower in the Dark is now live on the app and is receiving a very warm response from the community. Thank you for your contribution. I look forward to working with you. So isn't that cool, huh?
0: Yeah, and I do have that app. I don't use it frequently, but I'll have to check
1: that one out now. I haven't even heard it on, on there yet. Yeah. It just uh, went live, I guess, hours ago. Well, cool. Yeah.
0: Cool. You know, we've been at this almost an hour. How about that?
1: That's amazing. Yeah. I did not think I had much to say.
0: <laughs> I just want to touch on a couple of other things uh, that have become important for me in choices, in making choices, in seeing choices. And one of those, as I mentioned earlier, has been the process of taking inventory, which was one of the reasons I never wanted to do the 12 steps in the first place was I I do, do not like, did not like, I guess, um, that concept of taking, taking a personal inventory. And now it's a tool that I use all the time. And it really helps me to see where I am. It helps me to see maybe what is blocking me, from uh, a particular choice or decision, and it and it helps to eliminate uh, often the choices that I do have when I'm able to honestly ask myself, what's going on here? What's going on with me in this situation? Uh, what is my part uh, that helps to lead to the acceptance of the things that I cannot change? Uh, and... Uh, recognition of the things that I can change, which are then become uh, my choices, and the other uh, the other thing that is related here, uh, and one of at least one of the readings, maybe a couple of the readings that we did earlier, really speak to this notion of changing attitude, uh, changing changing my approach to a situation, which is one of the definitions of attitude has to do with angle of approach. And if I, sometimes I can change the approach to a situation, I can choose gratitude. I can choose happiness. And I was, as I mentioned, I was at an open talk yesterday and the speaker held up the just for today bookmark. And one of the quotes on that bookmark says, most people are as happy as they choose to be and I don't think that's the exact wording uh, that's from Abraham Lincoln and the, this concept of being able to choose happiness was totally foreign to me and, and now it actually is something that I can, I can choose the way in which I respond to a situation and I can choose to respond to a situation negatively or I can choose to respond with acceptance which tends to lead to being happier. If you want to highlight a couple of tools that are really helpful for you in seeing and making choices?
1: The first one, the most important one for me, and I'm trying to think of which tool it to applies, but it's probably easy, does it? You know, I'm a Type A Leo 12-cylinder guy uh, in my career in the past, and in life that attitude didn't work so well. You know, it was... Um, get out of my way and I'll fix it and move on and just, you know, I was a problem solver ad nauseum. And with this disease, you know, that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. I can't solve your problems the way they exist. It's yours to solve, not mine. So easy does it, I think is a great slogan, um, which I regard the slogans as my primary tools is those little pocket sayings I can take with me. You know, I've heard people say, you know, which step is this when they to talking to the sponsor and which step is that that supplies you and that's certainly a tool, but hard to take the steps with you, you know, to remember the whole step. Easy to take the slogans, you know. Mm. How how important is it? Again, a great tool to use and when when trying to make a choice or narrow your decisions to where you can actually make a reasonable choice. Eliminating alternatives, I mean, thinking, I mean, does Logan think? Is it thoughtful, honest, intelligent, necessary, and kind? That's a great tool for making a choice. Is what I'm about to do thoughtful? Is it honest? Is it intelligent? Is it necessary? That's the real big one. And is it kind? And uh, that's a tool that is absolutely ties into, I believe, choices. I have a couple of quotes here that I thought you might find interesting.
0: Sure. Let's close out with those.
1: Yeah. So I won't tell you who said these and you can take a stab at it. You're never, you're never going to get it. So here's a great one. It says, you always have two choices, your commitment versus your fear. Hmm. No idea. Sammy Davis Jr. (laughs) Who would have guessed? He was so uh, poetic. How about this one? You might know this one. In the long run, we shape our lives and we shape ourselves. The process never ends until we die, and the choices we make are ultimately our own responsibility.
0: No idea. I'm going to guess Helen Keller and be wrong. I'm sure.
1: No, pretty good guess though. Eleanor Roosevelt. Ah, okay, yeah. And this one, I think, must have been uh, must have been just prior to his passing, and I'll tell you in advance, it was Steve Jobs. He said, remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in my life. Because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure, these things just fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah,
1: yeah. How about one more? Harvey McKay, who I believe wrote, Uh, Harvey McKay, I think, wrote what they didn't teach you at Harvard Business School, but I'm not sure. He says, when you wake up every day, you have two choices. You could either be positive or negative, an optimist or a pessimist. I choose to be an optimist. It's all a matter of perspective.
0: Yes, so true. After a short break, we will continue with our Lives in Recovery, where we talk about how recovery works in our daily lives and in our meetings. And our first musical selection, which... You can always listen to these on the website, and this will be at therecoveryshow.com slash 164. The artist is Gomez. The song is Options. I like this song because basically each verse is, hey, I could be this guy, and it's okay because I have options. And he goes through a whole bunch of different guys he could be. And he starts out, I could be the guy at the end of the street, high on caffeine, ranting and raving, baby, and that's okay. At least I've got options. Or I could be the one that gives it all up and moves back to the parent's house, live in the basement, baby, and that's okay. At least I've got options. And so as we were talking about choices being the things that are in front of us, the fork in the road, he's recognizing his options. And I don't think he's chosen any particular one yet, but he's he's recognizing them. He's got those options. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and our lives this week. You want to start, Eric?
1: Uh, sure. Last Sunday, uh, I attended our 12 and 12 meeting locally, which is a pretty well-attended meeting probably 35 to 45 we're on tradition eight uh that was a great meeting i can't off the top of my head quote you tradition eight you have that handy
0: tradition eight Al 12th step work should remain forever non-professional but our service centers may employ special workers sounds really dry so what how did the discussion go
1: <laughs> yeah and you know it's funny how some of these uh some of these traditions or concepts, you know, I, something I said in the last one where we actually did every fifth Sunday in that every month that has a fifth Sunday, we do a concept uh, and some of those can even be even incredibly, you know, drier, if that's the right yeah. word, than some of the traditions. But as I said in the last time we had a concept set, uh and this just popped out of my mouth and it said, who would have known this bull uh, gave milk? Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's amazing that the traditions, although it, on the surface sometimes appear very, very dry, always seem to come back and give us something we can take away that's really interesting. So I don't recall the exact, uh, uh, and I probably could if I look at my notes from the meeting, but it was, a, it was a rich meeting and everyone again came away as typically after a tradition surprise at what they, they could take away from it um, and as it applied to their lives. And then, uh, let's see, Tuesday was my public outreach meeting, uh, which I'm stepping down from. I've been chair of public outreach for our district for three, three, almost three years now. Mm-hmm. And um, that effort has been to spread the word, and I'll do 12-step work trying to get more uh, butts in the chairs and find people, uh, help that they need so desperately uh, without knowing about us that it's out there. Uh, So that was a good meeting. Uh, Thursday was my home group, uh, and we read the preface, or the, I don't know what it's called, but the very, very first section of how Al-Anon works. And I'd forgotten, but that is a really powerful five or six pages, and I'd encourage anyone again that has that book to go back and read that. It's really an incredible uh, start to what has become kind of my – Big Book or Bible of Recovery, How Alan Works. So that was a great meeting. My home group is probably 20 people, 20 or so, and we mm-hmm. had, a new, had a couple newcomers. So uh, I'm hoping my public outreach efforts are working because our meetings are staying healthy and we're continuing to see newcomers in the rooms. And as you know, Saturday uh, last night was my men's group. I started three and a half years ago. Uh, I'm going to be stepping down as... Um, GR for that. But the topic there was choices. Uh, preamble to our meeting today. So, yeah. pretty good week. How about you?
0: Oh, it's been a busy week for me. I, uh, last weekend, last, well, Sunday, I got on a train with about 70 other co workers as we traveled. To Chicago for a two-day retreat where we were joined a total of almost 300 people from the company that I work for, from three main offices in Ann Arbor, actually two offices in New York City and one in Princeton, and then a number of people from actually all around the world. Uh, There was a woman who spoke who was working in Italy doing outreach to people using our services in in that part of Europe among others and we came together because in part we don't get to see a lot of our coworkers uh, being in several different locations as we are uh, I don't even know all of the people who work in my local office let alone the people who are in New York or Princeton or Italy or England and so on, and so uh, there was a lot of there was some there was some stuff about hey, where are we going? There was a really interesting interactive discussion how do you have an interactive discussion with three hundred people They had these little clickers on the tables where you could uh, express your opinion on questions that were displayed on the screen and get an immediate response and and that particular section was about values and what what values do we as an organization have and the, the, our CEO was or president, whatever his title is, was leading the discussion and he actually distinguished for an organization two types of values. There's the values of how we act as an organization and there's sort of personal values. So personal values are things like honesty, um, How we act as an organization uh, might be, um, what was, I'm trying to think of the word here, basically encouraging people to participate fully. Okay, that's not, he had a better expression for that. And, And one of the really interesting observations was, first he went through a list of, I think, eight different values that had been identified as possibly being important to us, and asked us each to say, whether we felt that was a core value of the organization is something that we already practice, or whether it was an aspirational value, something that we want to have, or something that we want to practice. And several values came up as core and, several, and, and the others came up as aspirational. And then he went through the same eight asking us whether we felt our manager exemplified that value. And I think all of them we came up highly positive on whether we felt our manager practiced that value. Even the ones that we had felt for the organization as a whole were aspirational. Um, and it's sort of like, well, huh, how, how is that that we think that the organization is not practicing, practicing this value, but our manager is? And I think it has to do with uncertainty as you get further away from your personal experience. As we get further away from our personal experiences, like well, it's good for me, but I'm not sure about everybody else. So I'm going to say eh, I don't know. Um, so that was kind of an interesting thing. Uh, but the the thing that really I think helped to tie us together as as an organization to understand what other people in the organization were doing is we had what's called a poster session where I think 60 different groups of people within the organization made a poster, which is filling a space up to like four feet by four feet with something about some, some factor, some piece of what, what you work on. And, and then we could all walk around and talk to the people, look at the posters, and, and really find out what's going on. You know, what are people doing? What do people think is interesting about what they're doing? Um, and so it was a really, it was really a good experience, but it was also jam packed full of stuff and I had to make choices. I had to make choices about, you know, do I stay up and go to the after party or do I get sleep? Do I get up and exercise in the morning or do I sleep in? Uh, you know, those kind of self care choices. And uh, I tried to go to bed, maybe not as early as I would have if I was at home, but not late, 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 which is certainly how I would have acted um, in, a, in an earlier part of my life. Uh, I did get up Monday morning and went down and found the the fitness center and worked out and felt good about it and felt good from it. Um, and we also had some time for recreation. So a particular incident that illustrated a choice to take care of myself, uh, we got there on Sunday and several of us walked from the hotel down to the Navy Pier, which is this sort of... Ah, I don't know how to describe it. It's got some entertainment, it's got a bunch of shops. It's it sticks way out into the lake and you can walk out and look at the lake. And we got down there, it was about 4 or 5 blocks from the hotel. We got down there and it became apparent that a storm was rolling in. And I actually took a a picture of these really dramatic clouds over the Chicago skyline coming at us. I looked at that and I said, "Wow, that looks like Raiders of the Lost Ark or something where the you know, it opens the the ark and and these clouds pour out and this it's awful uh, and sure enough a little bit later it started to rain and it started to pour and there was thunder and lightning and and here we were stuck in this luckily we were in we could go inside uh, with ten thousand or so of our closest not friends and waiting waiting the storm out and then we were gonna and it wasn't clear whether it was going to stop in time for us to get back for the evening activity. And so I thought, well, we might have to walk back in the rain. We might have to get wet. And so a couple of us found a store and bought some overpriced flip-flops so we could walk back without getting, in my case, my my uh, suede-covered sandals all wet. And sort of like, yeah, i got to do something um, and make a decision to spend a little bit of money on something to keep my feet from, you know, maybe stepping on a piece of glass or something as we walk back so that I can, I can, uh, I keep my, my only pair of footwear that I had brought with me in, in good shape. Uh, and, uh, so choices taken care. Of, yeah. Um, yesterday here in Ann Arbor, there was a soccer game, um, a well-attended, soccer game between Real Madrid and Chelsea. Uh, So lots and lots of people coming into town for this soccer game and, or football, if you prefer, like over a hundred thousand people. And I was going to this open talk, which was starting, I think an hour before the, the game was supposed to start. And I had been on the other side of town running some errands and I thought, well, It's probably not really bad. I can drive past the stadium from where I am to where I need to be. Turned out to be the wrong choice. Uh, And there I was sitting in traffic and there's a major intersection right by the stadium. They actually shut down part of Main Street running past the stadium because terrorists might decide to bomb it or something. I don't know. Uh, and they they close down the intersection and they have policemen standing in the middle of the intersection directing traffic. And so it's it's pretty much unpredictable how long the wait's going to be. Not to mention there are thousands of people wanting to cross that intersection. And so it's like, let some cars go one way, let some cars go another way, let some cars go a third way. Fill up the intersection with people. Let some cars go one way. Some, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, there's no way I'm getting out of this. I just have to wait. I just have to accept that it's going to take however long it takes, and I'm going to be late for the beginning of this open talk that I, that I want to be there for. And yes, I was late, but I didn't have to obsess about it. I didn't have to get worked up about it. I could keep my serenity, and I got there, and the sort of introductory opening was still happening. So it was all good. Uh, and I again contrast that with how I would have been without these tools, without these tools of acceptance, without this tool of being able to let go of things that I have no control over, and and be in the moment with with my with my experiences. And then and then it was the open talk, and it was good. And I have volunteered to do. The one next month, our district is sponsoring an open talk every month, the last Saturday of every month except December. And I was asked if I would do it next month, and I said yes. So that's a little little bit scary, but I'm sure it will be fine when I get there. Uh, in consequence of going to this retreat, I have been light on meetings in the last week, I did make it to my step meeting yesterday morning, which was step one. Always good. What do we have coming up for the podcast? Well, I know, Eric, you suggested a topic of sadness, and I think sadness, sorrow, maybe also shading over into loss and grief, excellent topic. Uh, we'll be planning one sometime in, the, in in the short term, don't know exactly when. Also, uh, I'm still working my way through these gifts or promises of Al-Anon and looking forward to the one that says courage and fellowship will replace fear. We will be able to risk failure to develop new hidden talents. And so if you uh, have thoughts or sharing on any of these topics or other topics, please join the conversation. We welcome your thoughts. Leave us a voicemail or send us an email with your feedback or questions. And Eric, how can people do that?
1: You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now to 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at therecoveryshow.com. We'd love to hear from you share your experience strength and hope or your questions about today's topic of choices or any of our upcoming topics if you have a topic you'd like just to talk about let us know
0: you can find all the information about the show at our website which is the recoveryshow.com includes notes for each episode links to the music that we talk about links to other recovery podcasts and websites and also Uh, Links to the, some of the stuff we talked about in this episode. I think in particular, I'll put a link to the Insight Meditation Timer. And if you'd really like to join the conversation, consider being a guest host, as Eric is today. We support, I can support just about any electronic communication medium. Or if you live nearby, you can come into the studio and and be a guest host in person. So if you're interested, Email feedback at the recovery show.com and Eric, you want to introduce our second song.
1: This is a song uh, by Natasha Bedingfield called unwritten. And you know, I happened on this one and I I don't even know which part to quote because it all speaks so incredibly. It's all good. Wow. Uh, I'll just, I guess, start with the first. Um, It says, I am unwritten. Can't read my mind i am undefined i'm just beginning the pens in my hand ending unplanned and going to the refrain says no one else can speak the words on your lips drench yourself in words unspoken live your life with arms wide open today is where your book begins the rest is still unwritten
0: got a little bit of electronic communication this week. I'm going to start with a question from Pete, who says, Hello, I'm a big fan of the podcast and listen often during my commutes to and from work. I especially appreciate all of Spencer's hard work and dedication. I work a typical Monday to Friday, nine to five type of job in information technology in the Southeast Michigan area. I'm wondering what would be involved in being a guest on the show. Warm regards, Pete K. And I also got uh, a voicemail uh, from Emily who had a similar question. Emily asked that her voicemail not be played. But I thought I can answer the question here for anybody who's wondering uh, how to participate. And it's really pretty simple. As I said, uh, we can talk on the phone. We can talk by FaceTime. We can talk by Skype. I like to set up a time. I like to record the podcast on Sundays, typically Sunday afternoon, but with Eric, I do it Sunday morning because that's when um, your time works. And the one that I recorded last week with Carrie, I actually did it uh, on a weekday after evening. I think it might've been Thursday. I don't remember now for sure. Partly because that works for her and partly because I was going to be out of town on the weekend. So I am flexible. Uh, if you live nearby, the, uh, the Ann Arbor Michigan area you can also come into the studio at my home obviously I would have to tell you how to find it and we can sit face to face and talk uh, it typically takes a couple of hours start to finish with a little bit of planning time ahead of time I like to ask for ideas and music suggestions and thank you Eric for all the music suggestions you sent this time I really appreciate that so it's pretty simple um, pick a topic that you're interested in and uh, and let me know and we can set up a a time and a method would you read lauren's comment that she left on last week's episode which is episode 163 rediscovering myself
1: uh, sure i absolutely love this episode i'm new to Alanon and found your podcast and i've really been enjoying it the episode was extra special to me because all of Carrie's shares were like listening to my brain talk. I'm a mom with young kids and completely related to it being too hard to leave them at the gym daycare. have thought same about putting the oxygen mask on them first and have struggled with seeking work outside the home. I'm finally starting to rediscover what I like, want, need outside our family. Finding al has taught me that the path of serenity is by focusing on me, which was so foreign because I've been trying so hard to put my needs last for many years. I think that dovetails into having the feeling that my life has become unmanageable. Because my not having my own needs once addressed, everyone else's problems and issues become mine, quote-unquote, even when they are not mine. My husband hates mushrooms, too, and I love them, too. I have done the same thing, always making what I know he will eat because it was easier than having to hear him complain. But I'm happy to report that I'm finally starting to eat mushrooms again as well. (laughs) I heard the first half of this episode on my way home from work and it inspired me to pack my two kids up and take them to the beach for the day. Ordinarily, I'd tell myself it was too hard, even though I absolutely loved the beach, and used to go all the time when I was single, before kids. And So I decided to take them, even though it would be extra work and a little stressful. It was both of those things, but it was also wonderful and just what I needed. Thank you for this episode. It really meant a lot to me. Finally, I just want to say that I've been to several AA celebration meetings and always leave them feeling so inspired. I often say to my husband, everyone should have AA support. It's too bad you have to be an alcoholic. I didn't know that it already existed in Al-Anon. I'm so glad I found it and your podcast.
0: Thank you, Lauren. Um, And uh, I'm glad you discovered or rediscovered that you like mushrooms.
1: (laughs) That that threw me a little bit, sorry.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And Marie gave us a five-star review in iTunes. It was titled Just What I Needed. Marie writes, Thank you so much for this podcast. This is exactly what I need in my life and has given me the courage to start attending local meetings. The content is relatable, and I really enjoy the music breaks. I was also surprised to hear it is recorded in my hometown, even though I live across the country now. Thank you, and keep up the good work. Well, thanks, Marie. And uh, glad we're here. And uh, definitely... Try to uh, continue to address the, our message, uh, at least in part to those who have not yet been to a meeting and encourage you to, if you identify with what you hear here, uh, find a meeting and and go, uh, go sit yourself in a chair and see how it feels. And iTunes reviews and ratings do help to make us easier to find by those in need who are seeking recovery. If you're concerned about anonymity, you can give us a rating without writing a review, and your identity will not be shown. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We'll have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Lucy and Pam did. And thank you again, Lucy and Pam we've put together a list of recovery related books. Click on the books link at the top of the page on the website. If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, just direct them to the recovery com, or listening to us. We are here for you. And one more music selection. Eric, you want to introduce it?
1: Uh, Sure. Um, However, before I start that, uh, I wanted to let you know that the uh, music meditation I uploaded that went live at uh, 7.54 this morning has 399 plays already since mm-hmm. we've been talking.
0: Uh, a little hour. over an hour and a quarter.
1: Is that unbelievable? Wow. Lotus Flower in the Dark. Check it out. It's very, very cool. I will. So the last music selection is by George Harrison. Uh, from let it roll and this um i hadn't heard this song before but i like the lyrics and it's called any road and some of the lyrics the first uh begins by saying for i've been traveling on a boat and a plane in a car on a bike with a bus and a train traveling there traveling here everywhere in every gear but oh lord we pay the price with the spin of the wheel with the roll of the dice and yeah you pay your fare if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. With the thoughts in the head, in the head, with the dark and the light, no use to stop and stare. And if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. I think he uh, lifted that from the Cheshire Cat. I guess.
0: <laughs> sure enough. Yeah. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. We did not talk about a problem you are facing today. Feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.